the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into uh, hour three on our drive home, we do our drive home with Sam Stone every uh, Thursday that he is um, in town. It's a delight to have him. Sam is a, a political consultant in town. You can follow him on Twix, Twitter X, at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. He's also the host of his own radio show, Breaking Battlegrounds, heard every Saturday afternoon at 3. Sam, how are you? Thanks again for joining us last night for post-debate wrap-up. That was fun last night. I really enjoyed being in there with with you and Hugh Hallman. It was a great discussion after the debate, and I'm sure people can get on on the app, the website there, and you should. You should tune in and check that out. You betcha. A little clicking on the line. I'm just wondering if there's a slight connection problem that's fixable. We'll keep talking, though, as we uh, work through it. I wonder if you had any further thoughts about the debate since we talked last night. Sometimes... Uh, I, I mean, sometimes, you know, you just you, the more you think about it, I picked up a lot of different commentary today. I didn't think I didn't think I saw anything as special. Interesting that Vivek, the thing I thought was interesting about the commentary was people either really, really, really liked Vivek Ramaswamy or they really, really, really hated him. He seems to be a kind of uh, lightning rod for that in a way the others aren't. Everyone is kind of eh, about the rest, but he really generates strong emotions one direction or the other. I don't know if you're picking up on that or if you're picking up on anything else interesting. For sure, picking up on that, and I'm not surprised because the Trump lane where people are divided and passionate, quite frankly, but the thing that surprised me in the coverage today is the sort of glowing national reviews of, of Nikki, Haley, Nikki Haley, who I thought uh, really sabotaged with, with how snippy and, and clearly Ramaswamy get under her skin, I mean, just kind of ruined her performance. But, you know, you, you look at the broader sort of narrative today, and, and they're cheering her on. Now, maybe that's wishful thinking. I, you know, it's interesting. I You and I and Hugh kind of, well, Hugh may have had a slightly stronger view of her. I'm going to say a word or two. I'm going to have uh, David call you back while I say about a word or two, just because the line seems to be really choppy. So, if you'll forgive us, I'll just say this. Um, you and I thought that um, she didn't do as well as she had been doing. We thought that Vivek got under her skin a bit. We thought, I think, that Ron DeSantis landed a pretty good blow on her with the uh, a really pretty good glance on her with the Everglades comment. Uh, and that, you know, someone who seemed so unflappable was, um, shall we say, flappable. (laughs) She, until now, seemed unflappable and became flappable. Now, I got to tell you, I didn't quite understand the the, uh, five-inch heels comment from her. Uh, I didn't quite understand that, but uh, Hugh did. But I was gratified to see that neither did uh, Dana Losher, (laughs) Megan Kelly. So I thought I was in good company and not understanding it. I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where the fundraising picks up 
as between her or Chris Christie. I still think um, there is a lot of a lot of down market view of Chris Christie, but I still think if he was running for for additional fundraising in life, he gave himself that. And the most interesting thing was the commentary between you and Hugh, which is, you know, someone there is going to end up being the other 50% of the non-Trump support. And, you know, once that happens, Sam, I'll run this by you. Once that happens, once if there is one, one person left standing, if there is one person left standing, I don't know if we'll get to that, but if there is one, that's a nightmare for Donald Trump, probably. That's my sense. I don't know what your sense is. I mean, he benefits from them, you know, from from the the bigger the, the bigger audience, the bigger stage. But if they if they if there's one left standing who represents the other fifty percent of the party that doesn't want Donald Trump, that's a problem for him. I just don't know if they'll get there. Yeah, I, Seth, I, I'm jumping in late on that's that. That's okay. I, I couldn't hear while I was sure, off. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, I I do think you know. The, in 16 because of the large field it really wasn't until it got down at Cruz that he was clearing 50 percent yeah um i do think this is a little different because you already have him pulling closer at 50 percent right now okay. i think if you narrowed this field to one not a hundred percent of that field is going to all migrate to the candidate standing some of them are going to end up migrating to trump so i'm sure it's the same risk for him then an early winnowing would have been a change. Yeah, there is this. Yeah, it, it does. It, yes, you're right, and it matters who the one is um, because it's pretty clear to me that um, there are outliers here. Um, Nikki Haley is an outlier. She's not just different than Trump or from Trump. She represents a part of the party that is not insubstantial but is also very controversial. Yeah, I, I don't think even Nikki Haley would dispute that she runs or is in a conservative lane. And, you know, there is legitimately a great deal of controversy about uh, candidates who have embraced that philosophy. And I think that, for instance, if she's the one that she would coalesce all the support that's out there, it's very clear if you're a Ramaswamy supporter, for instance, Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to Nikki Haley. Right. That's um, that's the issue. Right. 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 So I, I don't this is much risk to Donald Trump. That's why I said I don't I don't think the candidates I think it's a very narrow knife edge they have to walk because they don't wanna uh, do what Trump does and start throwing around insults and all this kind of thing. Um one that's working two, it takes away the advantage for some of the anti which is being present in a way that those folks have never seen Trump as. So, but I think that's why these folks have to start really contrasting with Donald Trump on issues and on how they would govern. Um, because going to beat Trump, you know, some of his support and we've seen no evidence of that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, still a choppy line. I'm going to have David ring you back on another one. We'll try it one more time, um, if that's okay. But yeah, that that's right, and and that's one of the things that uh, Donald Trump. Uh, you want to give him a call back, David? That's one of the things that um, Donald Trump has going for him, and not being in these debates, 
is he doesn't have to articulate a specific policy. I mean, if you look at his rallies, um, if you watch his rallies, they're general, they're broad, you know, it's not honed specific public policy positions. And he benefits from that. He benefits from that in a way that the candidates on the debate stage don't. They, you know, have to ask, have to be asked and have to answer specific public policy questions and obviously can get hit and nailed on it. He he has the luxury of not doing that. Um, what was kind of interesting and different and distinct about last night, I thought, what was kind of interesting and distinct about last night is there wasn't a lot of criticism of Donald Trump. There just wasn't. Uh, certainly not from Chris Christie the way we had gotten used to it and certainly not from Nikki Haley the way she was beginning to do it and a little bit Ron DeSantis, just a little bit on the wall. But that's kind of an interesting new mode that they know or someone is telling them or the people are telling them something about not wanting to be hypercritical of Trump the way you might have seen in the valence between Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis. In between, there was a criticism of Donald Trump, certainly not by Vivek Ramaswamy and certainly not by Tim Scott, which also raises the question of who might be a potential vice presidential candidate should Donald Trump get the nomination. I think that's that's really the thing probably most people are looking at at the end of the day. It's It's probably going to be thinking about who up there could be vice presidential material for Donald Trump should he get the nomination it's it's Tim Scott's really the only one standing inappropriate for it uh, he's the only one who's not critical of Trump at all he's the only one Trump is not critical of at all he'd be very good for the party and some people say well maybe Vivek Ramaswamy maybe Vivek Ramaswamy for a younger generation but I gotta tell you I think think he's just too much of a lightning rod when you already have a lightning rod. I'll get your thought on that when we come back on the other side of the break. Sam Stone is my guest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. We had a few technical glitches, but I think we ironed them out. We'll give it a shot anyway. Sam, thanks for bearing with. Um, all I was saying was right before the break, you know, I was still thinking some of the, about some of the stuff we were talking about last night who on the stage could potentially be a vice presidential candidate. Tim Scott has, I think, a lot to recommend him for that job. Vivek obviously hasn't been critical of Trump, nor Trump of him, but being a lightning rod, I think it's hard to have two lightning rods. (laughs) But I wonder what you think, or if you think there's someone else lurking out there who might be better. I I tend to think the vice presidential nominee will come from that state. You do, Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you that Scott is the most candidate there and the one that makes the most sense. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I don't see any of those being great matches for Donald Trump. I, I think, for one thing, if you don't find a woman, probably making a mistake. Yeah. Uh, just given the problems that the party has had with suburban white voters, I think it's critical to get someone who reaches out to them uh, well and you know the, the one one of the sort of axioms on the left in politics right like there's a disadvantage for women running that is absolutely not true yeah um women have average electoral 
a three to seven point advantage. Yeah. And when they're running, men will just vote for whoever they like. Well, <laughs> women actually go with, well, I want to vote for another woman. Uh, yeah. um, so, so that's garbage. So I think picking women probably makes the most sense for him. Yeah. And uh, obviously now that's not going to be Kim Reynolds, but we'll see who else it might be. Yeah, there's a couple other potentials out there. We're still having those tech things, uh, so I'm going to apologize. I, I uh, but I will, but I will save you your evening if that's okay. I don't know what yeah. more to say. All right, yeah. we'll pick it up next time. And uh, and I appreciate your your efforts there. Yeah, and, and um, anyway, I mean, I. Everything that could be said about the debates last night, I think, has been said, and there's not much more to say it except what I was talking about in my uh, earlier monologue, which was the way the mainstream media has been picking it up uh, and talking about it and how much they hate Republicans um, and how much they have shaped the view of Republicans and the Republican Party and how we're going to have to figure out a way to overcome it. I think it is as responsible uh, as anything else in what happened Tuesday night. I was having a long discussion this morning with a dear friend about the abortion issue. Uh, and it is interesting to me, you know, how many Republican consultants are saying what a lethal issue this is turning out to be politically, not in and of itself as a practice, but politically for Republicans. Um, someone said to me, uh, or I read somewhere that it's it is to Republicans what uh, defund the police was to Democrats. Um, but, you know, is it, a, is it a function of the country having changed on this in certain respects? Republicans didn't seem to have this problem in the 1980s. Uh, I remember there were all kinds of proposals in the 1980s, there was the Jesse Helms proposals and the Human Life Amendment. Um, Ronald Reagan wrote his abortion in the conscience of a conscience of a nation in 1983, the year before a landslide election. Sitting president writes a book on the pro-life, on his adherence to the pro-life cause. One interesting thing that might explain it is, yes, the country has changed very much so culturally, very much so. I do attribute some of that to the jurisprudence in and around Roe versus Wade. That's one thing. The other thing is a lot of Democrats used to be pro-life. There used to be a pro-life Democratic caucus. You can't find that anymore. Uh, Al Gore was pro-life. Joe Biden was pro-life. Um, Catholic Democrats were pro-life. Reagan picked up on them, obviously, in uh, what became known as the Reagan Democrat but a lot of the Democrats who are still there who were pro-life aren't anymore. Jesse Jackson was pro-life. You want to read the most, perhaps, one of the strongest arguments for life uh, and against abortion you will ever read. Read Jesse Jackson's essay from 1977 in the Human Life Review. Have you ever read it, young David? Have you? You have. It's one of the most powerful, maybe one of the most well-written arguments on behalf of life I've ever read. Uh, equally good, if not in some respects, maybe even more poignant than Ronald Reagan's abortion in the conscience of a nation. But it raises the question, how are Republicans going to deal with this issue? There is no possibility that they will empty it. Now, I did have this empty themselves of it. Now, I did have this tentative thought 
and it is only tentative, and I'd be curious as to what other people think about it. We have had victories since Dobbs in the pro-life movement. Ron DeSantis being reelected was a victory as a pro-life governor. So too Brian Kemp in Georgia, reelected post-Dobbs, pro-life governor. Where we have suffered is where the life issue is isolated in and of itself as a ballot measure or an initiative, right? That's where we lose. So the question becomes, what can we as Republicans do about not having it as a siloed issue to vote on in and of itself? One thing to think about, a friend of mine was saying, is run a countermeasure, run a counter pro-life measure. Um, Certainly, that would be an important thing to do in Arizona, I think. Yesterday on the show, I was talking about how the RNC ought to be getting together and figuring out some way to do a massive mail or education campaign that's very simple on this issue. Five points. Very simple. It would not be hard to do. Um, One of them, why we're pro-life, perhaps two of them, I'm just thinking out loud with you, and three of them dispelling the lies from the pro-choice movement, like these, for example, one of the biggest ones, which is that these pieces of legislation, these initiatives, these constitutional amendments uh, don't allow abortion up until the time of birth. Those are all lies. One or two, you know, one or two sentences on this, five bullet points, a massive education campaign, because it seems two things are going on to me. One of them is you have Republicans who are pro-life but are kind of a little bit and counseled to be a little bit uh, reticent to talk about it, if not fearful. That never used to be the case. Um, And you can't win on fear or reticence on anything. That's that's it seems to me to be one thing. And the other thing is you can't have you can't have a a Republican position on or a pro-life position that is defined by the opposition. And they, as my monologue spells out, do that. They have said about abortion and our position on it what they said about the Florida legislation in calling it the don't say gay bill. They have defined it against all reason and against all reality. We can't let it happen and we can't give up the issue. That's kind of the skilla and Charybdis we're in. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Now, young David, you did not get to weigh in too terribly much. We fit you in narrowly last night on the debate analysis. And as I said, and I think I'm right about this, you've watched as many debates as anyone, even <laughs> Maybe, for your young age. Yes. Maybe more, because you love spending time on C-SPAN and An YouTube. firing line yeah. and things like that. Yeah. That's right. All right. Give me your thoughts. Well, in the vein of the topic in which we were just in in the previous segment, I would like to say the one thing that defined Chris Christie's response to the abortion answers was his affirmation of care not only for the pre-born but the post-born in his 
firm stance against narcotics and particularly the fentanyl issues that are occurring in America right now. And as we mentioned previously, I think he's looking for donors and taking a lot more stronger stances. If we're looking at the abortion issue, I've worked with Christian organizations whose primary purpose is not the pre-abortion issue. It is the post-birth issue. Mm -hmm. I have volunteered for organizations in Africa who – it's called um, Care for AIDS. Mm -hmm. And instead of let us uh, get a child to birth, it's let us get a child to the age of 18 and let us get a child to adulthood and teach them. And so I think that was a big issue that uh, Governor Christie – brought up, and I, I liked that, a good little soundbite for him in his regard. In addition to that, though, I thought they stumbled a lot, and I saw it was reported earlier this morning, on the TikTok issue. I think they did not accurately pan that the way it should have been. The TikTok ban reminded me a lot of when we were talking in the late 90s and early 2000s about violence in video games, particularly after the Columbine shooting. Mm -hmm. And yet, where are we today? We still have violence in video games. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about it, Mm -hmm. and we gabbed a lot about it, but we didn't do anything a lot about it. And I think none of the candidates on the stage failed to pivot on the issue and point to the former president as being a problem. If they're going to be attacking him in the primary, that should have been their opportunity. I personally don't look at Trump as being at fault for that. I look at the senior senator from South Carolina for being at fault for the reason we have TikTok still today. But I saw a missed opportunity by any of the candidates to pivot and point to the former President Trump as having been the architect of allowing TikTok to stay if we're going to say that it's so violent in an arm of the Chinese Communist Party, which we are certain that it is. I think, though, that... um, it wasn't very good of them to. They made it personal it pretty same. quick. Yeah, yes, of yeah. Course. It went Nikki personal. Nikki Haley's daughter yeah. Yeah. should not have been mentioned at all. Um, she called Vivek scum, and probably rightfully so. But it just it, it was chaos. I have written down here seven p.m. Chaos. That's all I put on my notes. Yeah. The I yeah I don't know who took more hits on that Vivek Nikki that Ramaswamy Haley interaction. Uh, the general rule is obviously you don't go after someone's children. On the other hand, the child is 25, which cuts both directions. A, less vulnerable than 12. B, less under the control of the mom, too. So really no reason to to hit someone for someone they're not responsible for anymore. This is, you know, a young adult already at age 25. The issue of dealing with imagery and social media is pregnant for someone to pick up on. This is a growing issue and concern, and not a lot of people have talked a lot about it well. Uh, Ron DeSantis has because he's gone after TikTok, but he still doesn't spend a lot of time about it, a lot of time on it. I don't know. When you talk to people, David, I think this mental health issue is a big issue. And no exactly. one, I, yeah, I, I just, no one's talking about and it. And that's why I was very appreciative yeah. of the short remarks that Christy did yeah. bring up in yeah. regards to the mental yeah. health crisis. Yeah. And if we're going to compound upon that, it, I mean, I don't have a lot uh, to say about Vivek, but he did mention one thing, mm-hmm. which I know your organization, Hard Stop, has mentioned. It is drug poisonings. Yeah. It's not an overdose, particularly when it comes to fentanyl. I'm guessing he got that from my writings. <laughs> uh, um, no, I am. Uh, and um, uh, 
The one thing Chris Christie didn't get quite right, or at least I want to warn people about, is his answer on abortion when he said, in New Jersey, I disagree with where we're at. He said, I find it reprehensible, the abortion law, but that's what people voted for. That's a very dangerous line. That's what people voted for. Really? How far do you extend that? Check in with Abraham Lincoln. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You can detect, uh, now that you hear it, you can detect Linda Ronstadt's voice in there with the nitty-gritty dirt band. Um, who was telling me the other day that Tucson punches up against its weight when it comes to musicians? I think one of the Fogarty's is, was raised in Tucson. Linda Ronstadt. There was someone else. There was someone else. You want to check on famous musicians from Tucson while you're... Do you have a second to do that while I speak? After these short messages. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something about the mental health issue. I want to say something more about it. The Wall Street Journal had a piece published yesterday um, about, it's titled Children and Mental Health Crisis Surge into Hospital ERs. And if you didn't hear Dr. John Rosemond on the Dennis Prager show today, um, Please, if you have Pragertopia or the ability to go back and listen, if you did miss it, please listen to the John Rosemond interview with him. He said something hugely important um, about psychology and psychiatry. And it has to do—let me first set it up by quoting from the article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, one of the— one of the patient says about going to an ER uh, one of the moms of one of the patients says it's not like you're taking him there and you think he's going to come out any better said Katie Brown whose 17 year old son has gone to emergency rooms more than 15 times over the past three and a half over the past three and a half years seeking help for depression and suicidal thoughts it's literally just to kind of maintain the status quo until the storm passes. This is a problem in, it's part of a problem in the mental health profession. What John Rosemond, Dr. Rosemond, was saying to Dennis Prager earlier today, and it's something I'd never really thought about. I've thought about the problems in mental health care, but I haven't thought about this aspect of it. He said, there's not actually a very good singular standard of care. You know, there are all kinds of therapists, mental health therapists. There are, you know, Freudians. There are humanists. Uh, there are Jungians. There are all kinds of different kinds of flavors of mental health therapy with no real standard of care. And where... There's not tremendous outcome distinction between some of the medications that are most popularly used and the placebo effect. He said you don't see that in any other kind of therapeutic or medical or healthcare setting. You don't find humanist dentists. You don't find Freudian dentists. You find dentists. And, you know, if you're going to get treated for a cardiac problem or a pulmonary problem or any other kind of 
health problem, um, there's a standard of care. And evidently, something I didn't know until Rosemond, Dr. Rosemond said it, is that there is a much greater difference between the placebo effect and actual medicine being efficacious. Now, of course, we're dealing with the brain and we're dealing with emotions, and it's an understatement to say it's the most complicated of organs and the most complicated of issues, obviously. Um, so I think we have to be cognizant of that, but I think we also have to be cognizant of things that trigger more and more mental health problems, things that um, not only trigger but exacerbate more and more mental health problems. Look at the research about what interjecting things into the young teen brain is doing when it comes to chemicals, whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs. People used to think that, you know, I'd rather have my young child smoking marijuana than smoking cigarettes. Too many people still think that. How about no to both? And how about let's be as concerned about their brains as we are about their lungs? You you really want to take a look if you're of that mindset. You really want to take a look at the incredible amount of research now that there is on high-potency marijuana, which is all the marijuana there is anymore. It's, I use the word high-potency because it's just distinct from the marijuana that we knew in the 70s and 80s or that we knew of in the 70s and 80s. The THC content is dramatically higher than it used to be, so I think it's worthy of calling high-potency but all of it is high potency. Um, and, and don't get caught up in thinking medical marijuana is a distinctly different kind of marijuana. It's all the same marijuana. It's just that in some states they have laws that allow you to use it for medicinal purposes in, in theory. That's, it's, it's a legal distinction. It's not a chemical distinction. The THC is exactly the same. It's not as if there's, you know... Um, <laughs> it's not it's not as if we're talking about two different kinds of aspirin here. It's all the same product. It's just one has a different name in front of it for the purposes of the law. But look up the incredible amount of research about uh psychotic episodes and marijuana. Look up an NBC report. More children admitted to emergency room departments for marijuana um for marijuana overdose than for COVID during the years 2020 through 2022. So you can mitigate on those fronts. And I think you can mitigate too on family relationships. And I think you can mitigate too on other ways that don't send your child, and it's not obviously all behavioral, but that they don't send your child into high-risk positions where they are going to have triggers of mental health crises. I think we really need to think about that and take seriously what John Rosemond said. Why is there no standard of care? Why is there not one? That's a big and important question. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? Why refi is that? You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with Why refi and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. There are absolutely 
no fees. You can have peace of mind. There's no attack on principal. If you ever need your money back, you get your monthly statement with no surprises. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. This is a secure collateralized portfolio, and it may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. I got the Tucson thing wrong. There aren't that many famous musicians around there. We got well, Linda Ronstadt. We got Linda Ronstadt. What my friend was saying was there's a lot of songs with Tucson in the lyrics, which it turns out is true. Uh, there's by um, there's obviously Under African Skies by Paul Simon that also has Linda Ronstadt in it. She sings back up in that. There's a couple Toby Keith songs. He, he was saying that it punches up, punches above its weight in being uh, a lyric in a song or being mentioned in various songs. And uh, OK, so that's that's our tribute to, to Tucson and to quote Forrest Gump. Uh, that's all I have to say about that question that's kind of been on my mind, and it's on the mind, whether they say it or not, of most radio hosts, is the question of how long to talk about a particular issue in the news. Um, And this comes up from time to time, obviously. We struggled with it throughout COVID. Of course, that was so suffusing, it's hard to, it was hard to avoid talking about anything having to do for COVID for at least two years. It's happened with uh, it's happened with unfortunate incidents like mass shootings, um, and uh, it's happened with obviously riots. It's obviously happens with crime, and it's been taking place with the arguments and debates and issue having to do with uh, Israel and Gaza. And you know, at a certain point, cable news also understands these questions of time to move on and time to shift the narrative. Um just want to plant a little bookmark in this topic with regard to the Israel-Gaza discussion, um, because it seems to me almost that everything that needs to be said about it has been said, and I don't know what the flavor or taste will be for ongoing coverage. Remember Ukraine and Russia. The shelf life didn't last as long as Joe Biden wanted it to. But maybe he also didn't want it to last as long as it did. Something to think about. We'll pick it up all tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. For Mr. Bill, for David Dahl, for myself, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.